Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Be the accountant or bookkeeper in the pocket of your client, not in the inbox of your client, and it will change the game. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help overworked CPAs go down to 40 hours without giving up revenue. My name is Geraldine Carter. For many accountants, depending on the day, technology can be a powerful tool or a frustrating time sink. Here today to talk with me about effectively leveraging technology is my guest, Joe Woodard. Joe, if you haven't heard of him yet, has trained over 125,000 accounting and business professionals in areas of practice development, changing technology trends, strategic consulting, and how to maximize the use of accounting software in their practices. He's the host of Scaling New Heights, one of the world's leading training conferences for accountants and bookkeepers, which is coming up in St. Louis, June 25th to 28th. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Geraldine. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So accounting software seems to be changing at the speed of light. What is happening for accountants who aren't able to keep up? Yeah, so not be able to keep up is, is the key word. I mean, we're in the middle of a technological revolution. I used to call it a disruption, but now with the introduction of ChatGPT, it's, it's a revolution. And when the world is constantly changing and when almost no accountants I know have full-time technology, like they don't have CTOs uh, like enterprise companies do to navigate all of this. Even if they did, let's just imagine a world where a bookkeeping company or a CPA practice, a tax practice of five to 10 people have a CTO. Even that CTO can't keep up with the massive changes that are taking place. What about those firms that just have nobody but themselves to research all of this? On top of that, Every time that there is some kind of a shift in the ability of a, of a piece of technology or its functionality, it's not just the professionals that have to adapt it like a normal business. A normal business might just say, hey, we're going to come in for half an hour and teach you how to use your new time tracking software. An accounting firm has to learn how to use it on behalf of 20, 50, 100, or 1,000 clients. You already have that multiple, but then you have a multiple below that multiple. Because those 25, 50, 100 to 1,000 clients all have to learn it too and how it affects all of them um, and all their employees. So in one technology change for a firm with 500 clients and an average of 10 employees per client, there could be 5,000 people impacted by that change. And they're all looking to, to the accountants and bookkeepers listening in to say, do that for me. 
and now we wonder why we're tired. Yeah. So yeah, what are the, in addition to being tired, what are the other symptoms? How else does that play out for accountants in their businesses? Well, they just don't use the, what they don't use to their full potential. I mean, how could they possibly, right? Mm-hmm. So the clients under adopt and that creates a constant frustration point. The team members uh, that, that a lot of your listeners have, have under adopted. And you know what's really funny, Geraldine, is is we if we don't overmanage the adoption by our own team, we think they're using what we're prescribing, and they're not. They're using completely different pieces of tech. Yeah. And until we inventory that, until we review that and overmanage that, and I'm not talking about micromanagement, I'm talking about overmanagement. That's a Disney Institute term. Until we very intentionally manage that and continually do so, we're gonna we're gonna be surprised by what they've adopted. We just didn't know. When we went from uh, from like a non-managed company IT system very, very, very long time ago into a Microsoft environment, and we were aggregating all of these different data files and all these different systems, and it, we, did, we started asking people, where do we need to go to extract all this and consolidate it into this Microsoft universe? And I, by the time I had a team of like three or four people, and my people were storing company information in platforms that I had no idea they were using, and they were using logins that were connected to their personal email addresses. Eek. And, and and folks, I'm pretty savvy, right? I was teaching about all this standardization and didn't know what was happening under my own roof. Now, again, this was, of course, many, many years ago, but that taught me a lesson that just because now we have a coherent infrastructure doesn't mean that's what people are using. Just this past week, um, because we overmanaged the situation, we found out that one of our team leaders was just had just told everybody, let's get on a group text, and this is how we're going to collaborate when we have Microsoft Teams, because they just felt like that was the better way to do it. And we were like, no, 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 you don't have that discretion. <laughs> you've got you to pull all this conversation in, into the approved containers. So that they're struggling with adoption yeah. by their teams and exponentially adoption with their clients and all you have to do is go out to hashtag tax twitter sometime around march 15th and you're going to get an earful of the problems that that causes so i mean i want to ask it like is there any hope it just seems so insurmountable because it's coming so fast how would you ever possibly keep up and like you say the impacts are so far reaching so how do you even begin to get your arms around this challenge if you are a solo firm owner and you have, let's just say, six people under you and 600 clients? How do you even begin to maintain some reasonable sense of control over this? All right, I'm going I'm to give one, one of my favorite quotes from the guy who uh, has the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Uh, Andy Stanley is his name. He says... We are messy people working with messy people trying to make the world less messy. And your listeners don't want to hear that because we like bank wrecks down to the penny. I say we because I'm a bookkeeper. Yeah. If you just first embrace the fact that it's a messy process and that the goal is to make it less messy. Mm -hmm. Sorry if I just wrecked everybody's world and now you're depressed. But that's unfortunately reality of this. The second thing is, and I guess it's kind of extinction of the same thing. I don't mean to be redundant, but they have nuances that are different. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So if you just embrace the fact that it's an ever-fluid process that's ever-changing and always will have rough edges, that's a little different than don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Let me delineate. One is about a continual perpetual state and sort of an acceptance of the things you can't change. The other one is a methodology. 
So when I'm trying to adopt technology, when I'm trying to standardize process, and those two are inseparable, by the way, because in the bookkeeping and accounting world, the technology is process. So whenever I'm standardizing my process and I'm adopting technology, I need to understand that every step I take in this, this marathon is its own destination and its own benefit and its own, um, its, its own sort of end of the journey. There's joy in the journey. So like, for example, if I'm going to, uh, if I'm going to sell this and I'm going to automate my practice because Joe Woodard and others tell me I can automate 80% of the accounting process. If you're not there at 80% in the first 12 or 18 months, you could get discouraged. Instead, the idea is what do I do first? And how long is it going to take me to adopt that first piece? Then embrace the fact that it's adopted with a little rough edges. Cause again, it's always going to be rough and then move to the next piece like building blocks. Typically, for example, a really good place once you've tackled bank feeds, which I think most of your listeners have done, that's a form of automation, is to move into the payables space because it's most collaborative with the client. It completely displaces the paper check. It has a tremendous number of controls and it has tremendous layers of automation. So when you're, for, so just be methodical about it. Pick a payable solution. Stick with it because shiny object syndrome is going to kick in. You're going to walk around scaling new heights and go, oh yeah, but that one also does, right? And it just stick with your choice because it was made wisely. And, and don't think that multiple selects, multiple solutions in order to accommodate different business case needs is the way to go. Pick one. <clears throat> and even if that one is too much power under the hood for client A, but it services the needs of every client, regardless of their size or complexity, it's okay to, 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 have to pay too much for your payable solution, using that as an example, for some 20, 30, 40% of your clients, as long as you're standardizing across the 100%. And, and I can't stress this enough, which is why I'm just going to unpack it a little bit further. A lot of bookkeepers say, well, I'll use the GL platform of my choice for payables, for 40% of my clients. I'll use this, this little add-on for 40% of my clients and I'll use a sophisticated payable solution for 20% of my clients. And, and the principles I'm, apply, I'm saying here apply to all the categories. I just happen to pick payables. That's a mistake. You, you, you use what works for 100% of your clients, the most complex 20 across all the others. And, and you're managing then gross profit by portfolio, not by client. But it will also force you to take that bottom 20%, either fire them or move up on price in order to accommodate the right stack of technology. I don't go to Starbucks and they say, well, if you'll pay you know, a dollar for the coffee, we'll give it to you out of a Keurig machine. They just charge me $7 for the cup of coffee or I don't buy there. And they use the best equipment possible every single time. You need to be more like Starbucks. And I would imagine the gains are in... A, you're not paying for three different softwares that all arguably do the same thing. And the efficiency gains in terms of just having one app open that does that covers everybody and that you're not toggling between like, wait, which client is this client over on this software or they're on the other one and just burning your matches. You just nailed it. It's exactly right. The efficiency gains more than compensate for the fact that you may be over overdoing the technology for some 20% of the, of the smaller clients. Yeah. 
And then the question becomes, if you have clients, if you have, let's just say, I think if I heard you correctly, you had, you know, 40%, 40% and 20% and 20% maybe are your most complicated and you're paying for the software for the most complicated that covers everybody's needs. That the question eventually becomes, why do you have the other 80% just in terms of business model design? Why not just replicate the 20% five times over and get all your clients who work with one software? Absolutely. If, it, if, if your technology choices for your best clients weed out the 20% at the bottom, that that's not a bad problem. You know, the Pareto principle says that that 80% uh, tw- of the value comes for 20% of the effort, the members, the client base, the customers, the whatever it may be, the team members. And the Proto Principle holds true here too. It doesn't mean it's necessarily 80% of your revenues come from 20% of your clients, or it can. But de- but if you start looking at profitability in the portfolio, it almost always washes out that way. Especially when you weigh it with the, with the psychological burden and the account management burden, of carrying all of that low billable work uh, and the impact of of account managers when they're managing 30 or 40 or 50 uh, small accounts and when they leave the human resource turnover cost of moving that that many pieces of a book so we do have a saying down here in the south that it, it takes a mess of squirrel to make a dinner. Wait, hold on. Stop the bus. I love the south. It takes a wit. It takes a mess of squirrel to make a dinner. <laughs> Meaning, yeah, cuz you know, some people in the south still eat squirrel. So hold on. I ate squirrel. I was hungry. I had to eat five and I was still not You've full. actually eaten squirrel? Yeah, I have. Oh my gosh. <laughs> story story for story for another time. Um so it takes a lot of squirrel to make it. So keep going. Yeah, it takes a mess of squirrel to make a dinner. But that saying, that saying is, is humorous and there's a truth to it, right? It, it takes a lot of these clients to turn a profit. I would say it the other way around. Just go get a filet mignon. Just raise cattle yeah, instead. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, just exactly. go shoot just, a bison. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's no reason why, unless you just particularly like the taste of squirrel, there, there's no reason why in a business sense that you should have to create a portfolio of a ton of little bitty things. Yeah. Now, Geraldine, if you've got a heart, if, if there are people listening in and they have a heart for the startups, they have a heart for the small folks, they have a heart for the, the people that are trying to get them over the hump, the mom and pops, if you will, to use an antiquated term, um, there's no reason why you can't follow your vision. Just don't do it with a direct service model. Build a membership program. Uh, it's the same thing that Woodard did. I, 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 I service some of the, the, the top 100 largest CPA firms mm-hmm. in in the world with our consulting services. Yeah. I was just at BDO Alliance and I think the smallest firm there was 30 or 40 practitioners and that was on the small side. And we we were telling about our consulting services and we have a coach program that where you can pay us $40,000 a year at the top tier. But I didn't want to disenfranchise my value from the sole practitioner, bookkeeper, or tax preparer. So you just create a program like I did where you can pay $195 a month and you can have unlimited courses and you can have access to group coaching because it scales, right? It scales disproportionately to direct costs. It's all burden cost. And, and that means that you can you just, what I would encourage you not to do is directly one-to-one engage with a business that can't afford to pay you. Here comes the number. They can't afford to pay you more than $1,000 a month. Instead, find a way to aggregate those. Uh, think of yourself like an aerobics instructor. Every, every aerobics master typically has three levels of engagement. They, they, well, two, but they could have a third. They could record a video of themselves and put a subscriber out there too at a paid subscription. They could have a group class 
and they can have private classes. You just do the same. So, okay, you bring up a bunch of interesting things. And before we get to them, yeah, squirrel does actually taste quite like chicken. <laughs> Everything tastes like and chicken. And <laughs> it's the truth. And man, those ribs are tiny. But for the people who have a heart for, I, th- I would argue that this is the vast majority of Main Street CPAs is that they have a heart. And it's why they got in to accounting and tax and perhaps bookkeeping. A lot of them will say to me that they feel guilty not being able to serve the person who got themselves accidentally into a ton of trouble because they didn't know better, but that person's in their community and they just don't have the heart to say no. And then they also don't have the heart to charge what they really need to be charging in terms of prices for a personal return. And so they do it for 250 or 395 and they're just losing their shirts because they have a heart. So what I wanted, I do want to come to the one to many because I think it's an important conversation, even though we're talking about technology. <laughs> so what do you say? But now you're talking about something that can't be handled in one to many. It's a rescue situation. But what do you say for the person who's like, my heart is just too big? There's a phrase I want the rescuers listening in to hear. And I'm a rescuer. So I, I get you. That's the first thing I want them to know is I'm by nature a rescuer. Mm-hmm. And, and by the rescuers, the personality profile a lot of people think that it's innate as a combination of very early experience. So you're not going to change your rescuer behavior. You could just under, you can be cognizant of it, aware of it. There's a phrase I want you rescuers to hear, and it's called the endless vacuum of human need. There is an endless vacuum of human need. The second thing I want you to hear, it is not your job to fill it, right? So, and even if it were your job to fill it, you couldn't do it. All right. So um, now that doesn't mean that you become heartless. It means that you understand what what is within your capability to contribute back to to the condition of need. Um, So I'll give you an example. I have a real passionate for people with with addiction problems because I had some family members go through that. And there was a particular addiction uh, center that saved a, a beloved family member's life. I mean, literally saved their life. They would have killed themselves by now. I have them still with me because of this center. So I I contribute. Just today, I donated a large screen TV to them because their conference room had this dinky little TV. It's so funny. So I didn't I didn't even think of that. And just today, they came by and picked this up. Uh, I, I sometimes I'll give them money. I've gone down there because I was a painter in another life and painted some of their residential areas. I give of myself, I give of my money, I give of my capacity, I give my attention to this addiction center because I believe in their cause. But I cannot fix addiction, right? So what I would recommend to your listeners is create a pro bono budget, just like you have a budget for everything else. Spend down on that budget. I've got a donations or charitable contributions budget. And when that well is dry and this person calls me from this addiction center, I say, well, uh, I'm sorry. Now, I might really think and pray through it. it you know, I'm not arbitrary, but until I spend down on that allocation I've already pre-prescribed to them, I don't have to think about it. After that, I have to really think hard about it, right? In, in the case of a business-to-business relationship, when you've spent that budget line item, you've spent that budget line item. Yeah. So make the decision ahead of time of where your charitable cases are going to be and then stick to the decision and know, and rather than have your business be in air quotes, an effective charity, just delineate what is actually charity, give it away as needed, but limit the number of spots and then focus on running your business in a for-profit. Yeah. 
and create a network of people who you know are like-minded with you and have that same charity budget so that if yours is exhausted and depleted, you can say, look, I'm, I don't have any pro bono budget left, but here, but let me reach out to some, some of my peers that may be able to help you. Sure. And, and tell me how powerful a community like that would be while no one single firm ends up exhausting themselves. Um, there's a book called Boundaries by a guy named Townsend. And yeah, it's an excellent book for people who are challenged with boundaries. Read that book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely read that I book. I will have to say, some of you, some listeners may need to look the other way with some of the undertones. But the quality, I found it patronizing, frankly. But the quality, not the religious part, just the patronizing well, part. That, yes, thank you for saying that, because even though it happens to be a religious book, it's, it's used by mainstream, mainstream psychology, so if you could, if you're not a religious person, just filter that part out. But the principles of it, oh my gosh, it, it, it'll change your life if you apply them. Yes, absolutely. And I didn't mind the I didn't mind the religious principles part at all. His ability to help you understand what boundaries are and are not, and for you to be able to have a firm but flexible backbone, absolutely invaluable reading. Two thumbs up. Uh, thumbs don't make noise for our podcast listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to go over, I want to come back to technology. Um, and if we have time, I want to talk about one to many because I think there's real opportunity in one to many. And I don't see that many CPAs and accountants leveraging the one to many business model yet until I have something to say about it. So what are some of the other really common classic in air quotes mistakes that accountants are making when it comes to software? So disparate technology and the under under adoption. We talked about that. They undermanage the the adoption. Um, the the other thing is that they put too many. So there's interesting disparate and number. They put too many pieces of technology together. At some point, the human just needs to fill in the gap. You don't have to uh, have. You need to do a cost to benefit benefit ratio on everything you're automating. You know, if you think about sort of. There are lots of cautionary tales in Frankenstein, and the ultimate cautionary tale is don't play God with science. But there are so many derivative <laughs> metaphors that you could draw. You could make it a metaphor for so many life applications. Don't piece too many limbs onto this Frankenstein monster, right? Um, and be- because you'll be managing, uh, think about change multiplied. Um, across all the different pieces every time every time that a programmer makes that change. Now, there's another piece, though, that, that gets uh, where a lot of people fail, and that is in engaging their clients collaboratively into whatever you're using. So uh, it, a lot of your listeners may not have a portal at all. You know, I mean, their clients are just emailing them stuff, right? Or maybe even text. Or the, what's happening is they have a portal. Sorry to interrupt. They have a portal, but the clients email anyways. Yeah. And I was going. I was going to next. So they don't have a portal at all, yeah. or they have a portal, and because nobody's going to go to www.myfirm.com, browse to the portal, remember their login, reset their login, and then navigate around to the area within the portal where they have to click uh, uh, upload file. Well, you know, no, they're not going to do <laughs> Say that, no a right? Louder. <laughs> so. So let me tell you the the mistake people make is that that they don't they don't meet their clients on the mobile device. Yeah. So if you've watched the social dilemma on Netflix, if you haven't seen that, go watch it. Everybody listening, it's it's an enjoyable watch and it's a staggering eye-opening experience. 
um, because it's not a drop as drama. It's a it's a dramatic documentary, and it's got science behind it. The people that programmed these platforms are outing the platforms and what's happening on them. But in the social dilemma, it it was basically a whistleblower for the fact that every one of these social media apps and the device manufacturers have programmed the human race to respond to the phone, right? And I have a 15-year-old daughter. She thinks the world will lit- almost literally fall apart, to put it in her terms. It'll literally fall apart, Dad, because they use literally for everything. If, um, if, if I don't respond to so-and-so the second they text me. Um, so the, if we've been programmed that way and we can, we can't solve that problem, it's part of the endless vacuum of human need. But, but if, if they've, if these companies have spent billions of dollars programming you to never be more than an arm's length from your phone, which as I'm recording this podcast, I'm not, it's right there, right? If we're never more than an arm's length from our phone and we never go more than an hour or two or a minute or two without clearing a notification, then why not be more, no more than an arm's length from your clients? And why not always be a notification instead of an email? Now, a lot of people think, well, then doesn't that just put me on a leash? No, no, it puts them on a leash, right? They're already on a leash. It's called their phone. You're already on a leash. It's called your phone. The question is just, how do you leverage the leash to, to the benefit of your business? And so the question I typically ask and follow up to that is, are you more than an arm's length from your phone? Your listeners probably aren't. They may be listening to this podcast on their phone right now. The second thing is, um, how long have you gone without clearing a notification in your text? And then the third question is, how many emails do you have in your inbox right now, read or unread? And it's really an eye-opener. If we try to live in the wrong world, the world where they have 1,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 emails versus the one where they don't go more than an hour without clearing a notification, why do we expect them to respond to us faster? So the long-winded answer, but a very important uh, conclusion here for the listeners is be the accountant or bookkeeper in the pocket of your client, not in the inbox of your client. And it will change the game. Be in the pocket. But how do they do it? Exactly. How do they do that? And they're also freaking out because they're like, I can't be in the pocket of all my client. I already have way too much communication. Well, you can be if you're on their phone, right? It is okay that there's a lot of communication if it's inbound, right? You know, and, and it's got to be it's got to be part of the system that you work with. So take for example a product like Canopy. Canopy has a mobile app. The mobile app doesn't say your firm. The mobile app's not white label. It says Canopy, but nobody really cares about that. It's the red dot they care about. So, so if your clients are on Canopy, you're in a single system multiplied out across all the clients, right? So that's how you can be in all their pockets at the same time. And, and when you're using products like Canopy, say that you come to the, to the place where you need a document to continue your workflow, you tell the client right in Canopy, I need this bank statement. And it puts a task in there automatically that says waiting on client from bank, for bank statement. It sends the red dot through to the Canopy app installed on their phone, buzzes them, maybe even hits their watch, right? Then when they send you the bank statement, they don't have to be at a scanner. Um, they can just take a picture of it, right? With the Canopy app, it will, it will resize it, digitize it and make it like a scan document, or they could just 
reply back with a with with a link to a PDF file or whatever. Now, when they do that, it takes that document and it routes it right back into the workflow, drops it right where you were on the next step, do bank rec, checks off the box that says waiting on client, and you proceed from there. And since and so so you're doing the same thing you're doing that you always do. Only you're doing it in a solution like Canopy, and you're broadcasting out either one-on-one or it can be a client communication, like the end of the month's coming, get ready to one-on-many uh, pockets out there. Okay, I get it. So way easier, way less friction for the client, right? Because you're meeting them where they are, which is already on their phone. They snap the picture, which they have on their phone, and then it goes right, it goes automatically uploaded. So it's, for me, the equivalent of when somebody asked me to write them a check for my storage unit. It's like, really? I've got to find, like, I find a <laughs> stamp, an envelope. I've got to go to the post office. Like, what? Right. Forget it. It's going to take me a week if I even remember, and my kids are going to probably spill orange juice on it before it even gets there. But, but, but if they chat you a Zell link. Exactly. It's done in seconds. I know. And if they set me up on auto pay, then they wouldn't even have to communicate it. So that's the next step. Yeah. Automate what you can't automate. Make a click. Um, so way better, way better for the client and way better for the accountant. I love it. So, the, I mean, that was just one of the what I'm sure are multiple um, common places where accountants could get a bunch of efficiencies back. Is there another before we go over to um one to many, is there another place that you see that's glaringly obvious? Well, it not not for the immediate present, but for the imminent present would be this chat GPT everybody you know is, is talking about. Um, now they're of course the early adopters, uh, they're using it in very creative ways already. What you're going to see mostly is not people going to chat GPT and engaging it directly. You're going to see developers infusing it into their application. So, and I promise I do not work for Canopy, but I just want to use them as an example because they do a great job at mobile plus workflow. plus. So they just put chat GPT into Canopy so that now if, if a client emails me, instead of going to Outlook or Gmail, it scrapes it, pulls it into Canopy and reads it and, and in the background crunches it with chat GPT, artificial intelligence, and it gives me what it thinks the email response should be so that all I have to do is read the email response, make a couple of small tweaks or not, mm-hmm. and reply. Yeah, so good. So, so yeah, artificial intelligence has to be leveraged, but I want to encourage your audience, leverage it through the apps because they're the developers are the ones that are incorporating it in. Find the apps that are using it. Carbon just launched ChatGPT inside their interface too. That's a, another practice management tool. So you're gonna see this explode, right? So leverage it via the apps and then use solutions that put you in the pocket of the client. And by the way, you know, practice management is just one example. Accounts payable solutions, we'll come back around that to that too. How long do we sit and wait for clients to approve the accounts payable pay schedule? Right. But if you're in their pocket with one of these accounts payable apps, you can ping them, reping them, keep buzzing them, and then they could just go through, even at a red light, I don't recommend it, but they could theoretically. <laughs> at a red light, they could go through and they could go, yep, 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 nope, nope, yep, 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 and you're moving on. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Better be a long red light. Okay. So I want to briefly 
um, go over to this one-to-many idea. This was not expected for this episode, but I just can't resist. So for the one-to-many, and just for listeners, because we're taking a, you know, er, make that screech sound, make a right-hand turn in your brain. There's so much value to be created at the front end of the engagement with strategy and guidance about the trajectory of where you're going. And that value can often pale in comparison to the implementation of actually doing that work. So there's that coupled with the ability to package up that guidance, that strategy, that expertise, and put it in a technology digital box and sell it to many people all at once without doing any work at all. Other than curating, other than curating the video collection, yes. Yes, exactly. Th- yes, thank you for clarifying. Doing the work once and then selling it uh, infinite times. One question that keeps coming up is, yeah, but what do I do with my monthly recurring clients? So how do you go in a one-to-many model when you have monthly recurring clients? Well, you fold them in, right? But more importantly, you don't engineer the lowest tier of your program around them. You put it underneath them so that they're not tempted to go down. Some might, right? Tempted to go down, what do you mean? So, so let me explain what I mean. Let's say that um, that you provide bookkeeping services and those bookkeeping services, if you look at the uh, monthly revenue run rate, MRR, you look at the monthly revenue run rate, let's just say there's an average monthly revenue run rate of uh, $800 a month, um, some high, some low, whatever. But then you create a program, uh, sort of a, a one-to-many program, and we'll kind of break down what it, what a one-to-many program looks like for a bookkeeper. But you create a one-to-many program, and people can subscribe for three ninety-five a month. Well, would some of your six ninety-five or seven hundred or even nine ninety-five a month people be tempted to go grab that? They might. So you got to build it carefully. But it's not about will some some will. It's how many will. All right, so now that we understand that there is a little movement when you launch it, because that addressed your direct question, I want to talk about what one might look like. Remember, at the end of the day, you're, I'm an educator and I'm a coach. So it's easier for me because I can create a video library system, not just what that you watch, but that you interact with. Put it in a learning management solution, an LMS, and I can measure your ability to appropriate the knowledge and I can even provide feedback loops and question answer layers over the top that are virtual in nature. I can do all these goodies because I'm moving knowledge out of our collective brain into your brain. I'm not producing a financial statement. But when you're producing a financial statement or rather not producing a financial statement, um, it, it kind of levels that out to knowledge again because they're producing a financial statement and you are guiding them through the process it, through through the dissemination of knowledge. So you're educating them on how to be their own bookkeepers. But the other thing you're doing is you're providing community. So you can create a, a private Facebook group or you could go to something like Microsoft Yammer. And rather than the full weight of all of you, your, you or your people answering their questions, they answer each other's questions. And you have a moderator that makes sure they're answering correctly or who comes into the unanswered questions and provides guidance over the top. One moderator can support 150 or 200 of these subscribers because they're primarily assisting each other. And imagine how that will scale. The the platforms like Yammer are free. 
and the knowledge that you're producing can be done through solutions like Loom or Camtasia by by you, it, it, and this is perfectly fine as long as you disclose it, you, your talk track can just be the QuickBooks Online help menu content. Now disclose it and say, you know, one of our, our primary sources is the actual help menu content to which you also have access. Um, but what you're gonna do is you're going to demonstrate it out and you're gonna maybe put some screenshots or some visuals to it, but and you're gonna put your own words to it. But the but the logic of your basically your lesson plan can can be the framework can be borrowed from into it. And, yeah, and then you just and then you just build and build and build and build the library um, so that they get more and more and more value. But here's the last thing, Geraldine, is it must be categorized and indexed and searchable because people aren't gonna they're not gonna ingest it start to finish. They're gonna ingest it as they have need. So when they search for how to do a bank rec when there's a credit card company involved, then they watch your video. Your video is like five minutes. Then they might post a question or two into your forum and they'll pay $3.95 a month or $2.95 a month, whatever it is for that. Okay. And I would imagine, tell me if you want to add to this or you think it's off, that you, at that point, you have to be careful to no longer be selling bookkeeping services because that's not what that is. What that is, is community access and guidance. Correct. It, it's 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 bookkeeping assistance. Okay. You know, there's this there's this assisted payroll product. You remember that that and it still exists on the desktop. It's sort of like assisted bookkeeping, but just like with assisted payroll, remember you're not ultimately responsible for the you're ultimately responsible for for recording the paycheck correctly. So it's a really good comparison. They're responsible for getting the, the getting it in there correctly. You're just providing guidance. And do you have people doing this? No. Okay, that's why it's, 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 it's an innovation. However, one of the bookkeeping firms that we coached did create an entire business plan around it, and it was for farms. And the only reason she didn't act out her business plan, it was powerful, is because she was so good at helping other advisors. I hired her as a coach. So- <laughs> <laughs> you poached her. Yeah. So I actually coached her through the plan, and then she built this amazing thing. Um, so conceptually, I know it holds water, but it would be interesting if any of your listeners were to go, but I do it. You know, I, I've got a model. That'd be interesting if they could surface themselves. Um, yeah, I'm looking for, I'm actively searching for accountants and CPAs doing one-to-many stuff. And I have surfaced a couple. A couple. They're like salamanders under river rocks. They're not under everyone. It seems daunting, you know, building a whole video library and all this stuff. And a lot of people just don't have the bandwidth for that kind of research and development. And I get it. You know what I'd like to see come along is I'd like to see somebody build all this and allow people to subscribe to it, disseminate it, distribute it to their clients and white label white it. label it yeah yeah and if people if people think or if they're hint, think I'm hinting that we're about to do that we're not uh, but if somebody wants to do it I'd love to partner with you it's um it, it would be a herculean lift yeah that would yes that would take some resources to get that off the ground but imminently scalable like you say and there the need is vast and i've got one more thing to say that could help your listeners lower the fruit on the tree the video parts the most daunting part so, so remember, there. I said three different kinds of aerobics instructor: the video, the group session, and the one-on-one. You can do group sessions to coach your your bookkeeping clients through how to put things into their books 
without having to record a single video, stick it in a library and curate anything or index anything. And if all the people that are in your group session are in the same industry, it works. So imagine that they're paying $2.95 a month to meet with you once a week, 20 on one. You tee up a topic, you field questions, but even if you're in there for three hours or so, the math holds. I mean, that's, that's even if you're in there half a day, the math holds, and especially when you couple it with the moderated forum over the top so they can get answers as they go. So for listeners who might be trying to conceptualize this, this is what Joe's talking about is exactly what down to 40 hour CPA mastermind is. I've, I have the niche, which you mentioned, it becomes imminently easier, which I couldn't agree more. I would not have been able to do it in a generalist as a generalist business coach. But because I work exclusively with CPAs at a very specific revenue range, they have a very similar subset of problems. The solution is a very simple progression of this, that, and the next. And I recorded a series of 12 videos released, dripped out week by week. They're all 15 minutes. They're recorded on Loom and Vimeo. And they consume those videos asynchronously when they're ready. Sometimes they bounce around as needed. And then we have office hours twice a week and they come and get help and expertise guidance. How do I implement this? What am I missing out on? That's the model. Yes, it's exactly That's that. the model. And your listeners can do the same thing. They just, they just have the live classes. It'll frame their thoughts. Maybe even the recordings of the live classes become the video library. It's not as daunting as building out a whole school of bookkeeping. No, 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 don't. Yeah, no. It's the expertise and the guidance and the access for help me get unstuck plus the community. It's those three things that are imminently valuable that help them make that progress. And the videos, when taken bite size, and I believe it is invaluable or imminently helpful to do this inside of a niche, that the videos, my videos are 15 minutes. I have 10 slides, record, upload to the cloud, post the link, done. It's not, when taken step-by-step, step, it is not nearly as hard as it sounds. I would argue that the harder part is getting into your niche and understanding the patterns of their needs and the solution and the process. Agreed, agreed completely. And to tell you a little bit about my journey so it can encourage your listeners just very quickly, when we started this this whole idea of, of video-based or virtual-based coaching, because we were just scaling new heights, we we're just the on-premises conference, um, I started out by, by creating these um, extensive, multi-week-long cohorts, we called them, of people that I guided through. And I was the teacher live. There were no recordings except that I recorded it for the cohort so they could go back and reference. It was just all live instruction. I did that for like three years in a one-on-many economic, but it was live. And then solidified. The PowerPoints became the thick, the, the ever-thickening um, asset so that all I had to do next was take it apart, put it into bite-sized ingestible chunks, turn on Camtasia or Loom or something, and just say into the camera the same thing I'd been saying for three years and making good money at so that I could create an on-demand layer for the live layer. So so just like, just like if you say, hey, I'm going to sit down this Saturday and write a novel you never will, right? What you can do is you can write a, a, a one-page story or a one-page of a, of a chapter or something like that. So just, you know, in this case, you get to make money while you're perfecting 
yeah. the PowerPoints. And you can, once the library gets big enough, you can splice up the content and sell the individual courses for 99 or $245. Absolutely. Or you can package it all up and sell it as, yeah, exactly. And it's all passive at that point. You might have to update this or that little piece, but, you know, as you curate it, but it's it's a leveraged asset at that point and an asset you leverage at that point. So a better way to phrase it. And, um, and, and in sense, you're going to make uh, passive revenue streams. It's active when you create it for sure. But then after that, you just wake up to money. Can't stress enough though, the client's paying for the R&D because you're presenting the live classes while you're thickening it. The client's paying for the R&D. Say it a little bit more. Because, because you're teaching the course live one to many before you perfect it enough uh, and fine tune it enough to record it and make it on demand. So that means that, that you're making profit while you're building it out. And you know what else you're disciplining yourself? Just be a little transparent. Uh, I'm a procrastinator and I'm a perfectionist. I, I, you know, I, I joke with people and I tell people, I like having presented a keynote. I like having written an article. You know, uh, I like the fact that I did it, but I hate doing it because I'm such a perfectionist and I make it more daunting in my mind than it should be. I, I would never have built our 500 hours of, of video courseware over the last eight years if it didn't start with me knowing there were going to be 20 people tomorrow meeting with me and I had to get ready uh, or next week meeting with me and I had to get ready. So it, it created an urgency around it. And, and I was even kicking myself because I was like, why did you do this, Joe? You know, and I was mad at myself because I had to go develop it because that's the way I'm wired. But it dis- made me discipline it because I'd either have to give them their money back with embarrassment or get it done. And now we've got 500 hours of online, online on-demand video content, um, if you count all of the courseware and coaching layers on it, in our membership program. One block at a time, brick by brick. Yeah, one. it is. It's very much one block at a time. The first block, get going on your niche. Got to build a niche. Couldn't agree more. If I did what I did for, try to do what I did for other professionals, it wouldn't work and fall apart. I just know, I know my audience. I know who I'm passionate about. And that's what makes it work. Scaling New Heights is coming up in six weeks-ish, so let's talk about what we have to look forward to. Yeah, well, you joining us, that's going to be exciting. Um, yes. Oh, yes, I will be there. Come find me, please, if you're a listener in this audience. Absolutely. Scaling New Heights is themed this year, SOAR. It sounds like Scaling New Heights is a theme. Scaling New Heights is the name of the conference. Every year it has a theme. And this year's theme is SOAR, S-O-A-R, because I, 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 what I see in accountants and bookkeepers is they're, they're much more like pigeons than hawks, right? They're flapping for every single moment that they stay aloft. Some of them are like hummingbirds, right? They're just, you know, it's constant motion, constant energy burn. And it's because they're trading effort for revenue. So it's funny because a lot of the things we talked about here, leveraging technology, leveraging the one-to-many, and, and leveraging assets is, is part of what it means to soar, uh, make money disproportionately to effort. Uh, but also when you do have effort, minimize the amount of effort required and streamline it. Um, Lissio cited a study recently that 40% of the effort of last year's tax season from those participating in the study was, was on trying to find the documents they needed to get the work done, right? Gets back to that whole, are you the accountant in their pocket? So through process and through technology, and through the leveraging of assets, knowledge work, 
you can soar instead of flap. And that's what we'll be talking about for four days. I love it. And money revenue does not come from effort, it comes from the value you create for your clients. Correct. So for people who want to find out more, and of course, is there still space? Because last time I went to register, it was sold out, it was too late. So tell us where we can go to register, tell them where they can go to register if they're still interested and all the rest. Well, this year we are not in a hotel. This year we are in a convention center and we have uh, commandeered the entire America Center Convention Center in St. Louis. We won't be using all of it, but that's to your point. So there is no urgency. Even if you walk in, we, you'll, you'll find a space. Um, however, however, we only have uh, 50 rooms left in our room block. So if you want to be, um, be at the convention center in our room block at our discounted rates, uh, the next 50 people that book a hotel room get that luxury. But I just want to stress, even if you decide last minute to go, St. Louis is a great city. It's a big city. And it's, a, and, it's, and it's a connected city. So you can always find a hotel room and there will be room for you at the America Center. Awesome. Well, if you are there and you better be there, I look forward to meeting you. Joe Woodard, thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.